So it's true uh, about the agreement part for the two lectures, but I must say with a lot of hesitation. <clears throat> Kathopanishad is something very dear to my heart. That's true. I think uh, probably many of us. But equally because um, one approach, which is the traditional approach, classical approach, is to take a text, go sloka by sloka, go from one chapter to another and so on. Personally, I find that approach a little tedious and uh, sometimes I feel it, it's disconnected because uh, it should be an expression of what we are and what we are seeking. This, this, this was the dilemma because that's approach of going literally by the structure of the book. Uh, I like to get sometimes outside the frame because I, I believe that uh, these works, the Upanishads, they are not meant to be limited within a frame, though we, because they are speaking of something which is beyond all frames. Uh, they speak of so many approaches through which we can go towards that. Um, at the same time, it's a Upanishad which is very dear because um, I think there is, it's one Upanishad which tells us the goal, which tells us about what life is, what life can be, what is the path to reach that goal. The entire journey is something amazing. Very rarely we find such a beautiful combination of uh, thought and substance and, and very clear and very simple. It's, it's uh, absolutely step by step, very methodical. Say, if one reads the Ishupanishad, which of course is uh, no doubt the greatest one may say in, in a certain sense, one gets the impression of moving from one mountain to another. But Katopanishad doesn't do that. Katopanishad takes us through all the peaks, one after another, and then gives us a very grand vision of the entire creation and what is beyond it. Uh, the authors, of course, are uh, of both these great Upanishad, reportedly is the same, though they have a slightly different origin. So as we know, Katopanishad belongs to the Krishna Yajurveda. So Krishna Yajurveda has a very interesting story to it. Uh, also known as the black Ayurveda. <laughs> it's not Krishna of the Krishna, but the color part. And it is said that um, Jagnavalk, the great seer, his grandfather Vaishampayan, once got very angry with him because he had read the Ayurveda and was giving his own commentaries or kind of explanations or understanding. And he got very angry with him that, you know, you have uh, taken all this and Give me back. You must acknowledge me. You know, even those days, even great <laughs> sages, it is not easy to conquer egoism in the nature. So he vomited it out. It's a, of course, it's a symbolic thing. He vomited out means, he said, what do you mean? Take it back. <laughs> so that, that which he brought out of himself became part of the Yajurveda as the Krishna Yajurveda, which is now taken as an Upanishadic text. Otherwise, originally from the Krishna Yajurveda. Then he went on to have his own, he meditated upon the sun. He said, why should I have borrowed knowledge? In a sense, it's a borrowed knowledge. He has received something which he is talking about. So he wants to have the authentic knowledge, the true knowledge. So even though this is something great, but in his search, he meditated upon the sun, the source of all illumination and light and wisdom. And he came up with his own, uh, the truths that he received directly from that illumination and that became portions of the white Yajurveda. And you know, Isha Upanishad is one of the 
products of that so we have the same rishi uh, talking about these two different ways but as i said in ishupanishad he jumps from one to another there are very few connecting dots but here it's a more it's more like an explanation where he takes a step by step the story line is very simple as he said and i that's one thing i love about this uh, you know story now these stories of upanishads stories of vedas uh, we have to understand it they they were not written like a novel so there are many question marks which we can take up and because there are those questions are also interesting so the story starts very simply there is this king vajashravas also known in scriptures as aruni uddalak uh, so he is performing a sacrifice so we have an outer meaning of the sacrifice that you give away things like people go and give away their hair some people go you know a shirt which i am no more using worn out let me give away to somebody so he is performing a sacrifice and like any smart man he is giving away certain things which have worn out which have lost their utility and this young son maybe 9 10 11 year old is watching his father it's a very interesting setting and he is seeing that my father is doing something which is not quite right and like a very modern rebel son he says dad you are wrong so you see how advanced a civilization could be where a child Uh, is suddenly telling his dad that you could be wrong and is there in the upanishad and his father gets very angry he wants to continue with the whatever he is doing then he points out he says you know you are giving away those cows to the gods which have worn out which have no milk left which are <laughs> very interesting describes which have just one more time they can drink water after that they are going to die they are last thirst they are experiencing and you are giving them away so it's it's not fair this is not how sacrifice is done so his dad is getting angry but he doesn't respond to him so finally to shake him out the son says all right whom do you give me so you see again uh, the father gets very angry anger has been the cause of so much disruption in life and he says i give you to death go to death and so the son takes it seriously he says all right i'll go to the abode of death so the question number one that often people ask that how does he go to death what is the process now i have a very simple medical explanation of this uh, there are many interesting things about kat upanishad which i find very usefully even in medical practice in fact the very name kat there are several interpretations but one of them is distress the so person is in distress now you know it's very interesting that some of the highest knowledge has been given in distress arjuna is in a state of yoga vishada distress so he seeks knowledge and a great knowledge is given to him so this idea of similarly we see that the bhagavat puran though its origin is not in distress in a sense in distress because vyasa rishi is feeling distress he has written a lot of works wonderful works but he is not satisfied so he doesn't know why he is unhappy is a great seer who has written and compiled the vedas done lot of work but he is still unhappy and narada tells him you know why you are unhappy you have not written about the leela of the lord oh okay that's missing so he's and again bhagavat is received by parikshit when he is in distress so you know distress in certain sense when he is about to die when he is you know 
got seven days. So he says, what do I do? I am facing death. Whether I should succumb, accept it blindly or call my doctors, keep everybody uh, 108 ready. But uh, instead, he is advised, why don't you listen to the Bhagavad? It will liberate you from all fear of death. So again, we, we see this cut, which is distress. So what happens to this boy? This boy waits for death. As the scripture goes that three days and three nights he waits at the, uh, at, you know, at the house of death. I take it in this sense that, well, if you don't eat and don't drink for three days and three nights, waiting for death, you are sh- likely to enter into an altered state of consciousness. <laughs> where you can actually have a dialogue with death if such be your intense aspiration. So, because people often ask, you know, how, what is this absurdity, you know, he is actually going to death. Because actually there is a transition. Suddenly we will see in this Upanishad the great sudden transition. Go to death and suddenly the next moment, it's not like how he has reached the abode of death. So, somebody comes and tells death that, you know, three nights, three days he is waiting. Uh, he is a Brahmin. Brahmin means a seeker. He's just not ordinary person. He's a seeker. And he's waiting at your doors, and you know, he should not be kept waiting like this. Seekers are not meant to be waiting. So death says that, well, I am so sorry, I didn't realize you should have sent me your card. And Nachiketa, as usual, says, I don't have a visiting card. I'm just carrying the fire in my heart and faith. That's my visiting card. So he says, Yes, that I can see. And so, because three days and three nights you have waited, I grant you three boons. So, the first boon is, he says, alright, very interesting boon he asks. He says, my father should be quiet and calm when I go back. I want to go back to him. Don't keep me permanently. (laughs) I want to get back. And when I get back, he should be quiet at heart. It's very interesting in the context that later on, Yama tells him, you have chosen... Shreyas over prayas. What about this boon which he has asked? Now this is a very interesting boon that he chooses his father's peace, his calm, harmony over everything else. First boon. So you see that is very simple. I assure you you will go back untouched, unharmed by any of my fellows and he will be at peace. Alright. So next boon. Next boon he asks him to expound about the heavenly flame. He, he has heard, he has read that, you know, in heaven there is no sorrow, there is no grief. There is a state of consciousness where death is not there and everybody is happy. Everybody is, you know, all things are just wonderful. So he says, tell me about that flame. You must be knowing about it. And he says about that flame, that, that flame which has built this world and inhabits this. It's, a, it's not just a... A heaven, it's also simultaneously a state of consciousness in which we can rise. And if we rise in that state, he also says that how you can, you know, arrive at that state by um, performing a certain yagna. And it's described that there are three layers of bricks. You have to then light the fire. We'll come to the symbol later. And then you can arrive at that flame, knowing which all this goes away. There is no sorrow, there is no fear, there is no death there. So, he is very happy and he does all the acts and says, I have lit the fire. Now, next step. Okay, he says, I will give you a boon additionally. So, what is that additional boon? Additional boon is that henceforth, this fire will be known by your name, Nachiketa fire. And second, he says, I am giving you a necklace. 
so lovely necklace he gets of many many flowers different flowers and different all the different the beautiful gems you can imagine he gives him a garland now he says ask your third boon this was gratis complimentary gift so he says the third boon is very simple some say that when people pass over they are others say they are not now who better than death you can tell me whether which is true now yama hesitates he says you know look nachiketa you know i know i have granted you boons don't ask about this uh, even the gods do not know it because you are asking the subtlest of all knowledge it's the most profound the most subtle and yet he insists insist and then he tells him that i'll give you many other gifts horses and cows and luxury and comfort and palaces and empires and he refuses he says no because all those things you will take away now everything is so beautifully symbolic and uh, i want to know only about that then he starts expounding so actually the first chapter this book is basically two chapters and uh, each chapter has three three cycles the the first two boons are there in the very first cycle and all the rest of the five cycles or you know the two cycles of first chapter and the three cycles relate to this final thing which yama is revealing to him about that which is beyond life beyond death that which is beyond virtue beyond vice that which is beyond right beyond wrong that which is beyond bright and beyond dark that is the third aspect which yama expound now several suggestions are already there in it there are several ways of looking at a symbol but my way of looking at it is vajrashrava is the old consciousness the ego consciousness which wants to give but not with the full heart not intent such a sacrifice is meaningless it leads us nowhere so often we go and we have a little extra money we put it in the hundi or you know we have something too much you know bill gates foundation and write some money this doesn't bring knowledge this doesn't bring awakening it's a good deed all right and as death tells uh, or rather yama tells nachiketa that they who engage in such things they come back because they will go because of good deeds you'll go to some place and you'll come back but you will be moving in the cycle of ignorance so your aim will not be served so this is one kind of the old consciousness always there is a hesitation in the giving it wants to extract every bit of uh, every pound of flesh from life every bit of energy and then when nothing is left you give it to god now this is a retirement policy which uh, you know this is a one way contract the divine doesn't sign on a retirement policy he is not interested you know only death can sign a contract with that say all right you come i'll send you back after your deeds are just merit or less merit and you will come back so that is vajrashrava the ordinary old consciousness egoistic consciousness which is all the time turned around itself and wants its own benefit even when it sacrifices to the highest nachiketa is a young boy within this egoistic consciousness and out of it there is born the psychic quest so within us both are there vajrashrava is there who wants to hold back things and within us nachiketa is there with a quest towards the eternal 
and there is a fight which goes on that's how you know many of these like kansa and krishna that's how i understand these stories that they are taking place within us so but this new consciousness which is born within the old within the uh, egoistic mental vital consciousness it wants knowledge it's not just that i give away for certain advantages i want the knowledge the true knowledge so it it has a quest but for true knowledge you have to die now this is the third symbol where you can't get true knowledge if you don't die to the ego so nachiketa must go to the realm of death otherwise it become very difficult to understand death here death is the yama the law the guardian of the law and we cannot know the true law the divine law the right law of creation unless we have died to the old consciousness if we keep the old consciousness we are not the adhikaris not the initiates into the mystery we have to die to the old and many mystics speak about it so he dies to the old but what happens to the old consciousness and here in comes the first boon of nachiketa that well ultimately once you have acquired the knowledge you get back body is the base your individual life is the base it has to be secured and therefore the old consciousness must be filled with peace must be gratified must be uh, full of an inner calm this illumination does not discard the old it illumines the old it pacifies the old old consciousness the body the mind the life and so one day it must return so first boon is keep this foundation secure if we are very restless in our individual nature again we cannot uh, go into the beyond so this security is very important shobindu would often speak of this that the first thing necessary in yoga is calm peace equanimity and he used to insist so much that if you don't have this foundation and you strive for higher knowledge you it won't just work out you'll come back again and again so the first boon of nachiketa is to keep this individual um body mind complex which is the basis of sadhana secure on the foundation of peace and calm not anger not agitation not restlessness so it must be secured and he has already told yama that i will be coming back and yama has assured him so this is the sense innate sense of the first boon so the first is this discovery the second discovery the heavenly flame is the universal or the cosmic being so we have three terms of our existence one is the individual existence and in the individual existence we have a double soul the soul is a way of saying i am using shobindu's terminology or rather we can say we have a double self one is the ego self which is vajrasrava and one is the deeper self which is nachiketa a self of aspiration a self of seeking a self which is willing to sacrifice anything for the sake of the highest and then after the individual there is the cosmic being or the universal being and that too we can reclaim that is also a part of us but we do not know it because once if we do not reclaim it we cannot really become the real initiate for the next step so the 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 after securing the base the next step is the widening and the vastening of the consciousness turning the individual into a universal totality how do we do it so there we have the nachiketa fire which is a threefold fire so the bricks have to be laid in one second third layer so these images are very interesting like in vedas when they speak of lighting the inner fire so but they don't speak of the inner fire it's a symbol you have to gather so they say pick up this wood arani pick up 
two wood and rub them like this. They describe in great detail. Put one below, put other above and do it. Now what is it? This is the lower which is turned towards the higher and this is the higher turned towards the lower. When you rub it together, the flame is lit. Meaning thereby when we bring our ignorant consciousness in contact with the higher consciousness, we can say when we do pranam to the mother in a very simple way or, or whichever way, then this fire is lit because when the two contact take place, the fire is lit. Even in physical world we see this symbol, fire was discovered like this. They were rubbing and then by rubbing the fire was discovered. So the lower and the higher, when they come in contact with each other, the flame of aspiration is lit. So similarly, the next step is universalizing. So what is preventing from universalization? There are three bonds. Now this comes in another story in the Upanishad. I think we may have uh, spoken about it. The story of Sonashep. So Sonashep is uh, a, a man who is uh, tied with three knots. And um, he is the victim of his sacrifice. No, it's not about human sacrifice. <laughs> so he is praying everybody that please release me, please release me. And nobody is ready to help him out. Why? Because uh, this is a whole fight between Vasishta and Vishwamitra. And poor fellow has become a victim in the process. So he's, he invokes God Varuna. Varuna is God of vastness. So when Varuna comes, he cuts the three knots and it's very interestingly described. He cut the first knot and threw it up. He cut the middle knot, threw it around. He cut the third knot and threw it down. So we have these three levels of being, the mind, life and body which become the knot of the ego. We cannot escape from that. We cannot understand about universality. Conceptualize we can, but we don't live that experience. To live the experience, the fire has to be lit on all the three levels. It's not enough that I have my inner aspiration and the inner fire is lit. That will not lead me to that state, uh, to universality. This is wonderful. If it is lit, it can. obviously there are many things that will happen. But this next step can only happen when mind, life and body, in all three they begin to seek that which the Nachiketa, the inmost fire within us is seeking. And that's the sense why the Kathopanishad uh, Yama gives the name Nachiketa fire. There is no need to give a new name. Fire is known by many names. Grahaspati, Avanya, many names are there for the one fire. Why this new name? This new name implies that it's not just the inner fire, not just the fire which is at the base of the uh, matter, which is the Grahaspati fire, not just the fire of the mid-worlds. Not just the fire of, you know, which burns in the highest firmament. Not just the supramental fire, which is the home of truth. This is the fire which is lit within the human consciousness, in the mind, in the vital and the body. So, when these three also begin to seek the highest, begin to seek the truth, then the knot of ego melts. So, this is another process then, uh, the Sunishep story. Sunishep story, he invokes the higher consciousness and Varuna comes and cuts the knot. Here, the, while still in the lower, with the um, inmost fire, the psychic being, all the three levels are affected. Meaning thereby, which also comes in the Kathopanishad, it says there are two activities of the mind. One, even the Gita speaks of it, one which is turned downwards and outwards. So most people are turned downwards and outwards. Even sometimes when they claim to be, you know, turned towards higher things. Sri Ramakrishna puts it in a very beautiful way. And uh, I love that simile. He says, uh, many 
seekers are like vultures so they are flying you know birds are symbol of soul powers but where are, where is their vision their vision is on is on the uh, flesh yes on the flesh which they want to eat so flying high in thought is not enough that's why this wisdom does not come with scholarly thought i personally feel that any amount of analysis of words cannot give this wisdom there are people who are pedagogues there are people who are very pedantic and you know and they are very good but they cannot get the key to the upanishad the reason is you have to read it with the inner fire uh, nowhere it will be written this is the symbol this is the meaning and with the inner fire new symbols will be revealed and i often compare the two like that imagine that somebody has entered into a dark room where in a very faint light one is seeing a script an archaic script and trying to make sense of it another when the light is lit the lamp is lit there is a inner illumination now when it falls on the same word the word reveals their intrinsic sense which cannot come by any kind of conventional understanding and i am glad i mean it's so nice that vedas and upanishads are like that and i would include the gita also they are not scriptures which can be only understood by the literal meaning of the words it can even be misleading that's why uh the gita is, uh, uses a very interesting word phrase shabd brahma ativartate go beyond the word written or spoken how do we go beyond the word he is not saying discard the word <laughs> it's not said don't read the gita don't read the vedas no read it but go beyond the word the scriptural words uh, and that's because just to take a little side track these meanings have changed evolved and as our fire is lights up new meanings emerge automatically spontaneously because then we begin to see that look uh, this is what i am going through in my own journey that's how shurvindo read the vedas shurvindo didn't make a systematic study of the vedas in the beginning that let me find truth by reading the vedas he didn't do that he was having certain experiences and then he found the confirmation of these experiences in the vedas which is i feel the correct way that let the fire be lit and when the fire is lit because that's the meaning of upanishad whether it's katha whether it's uh, isha whether it's kena uh, prashna mandukya mundaka shvetashvatar name any upanishad what does upanishad stand for uh, one is sitting at the feet of the master second is going into the heart of the inner knowledge there are other meanings also but look at what it means the first thing is upanishad so either we should be seeker after the inner knowledge and not just the superficial knowledge which comes through words or we should be sitting at the feet of the master which again we see in the katha yama tells him that rare is a seeker like you and rare is his master like me he talks of and when the two meet then knowledge is born so he says in, in fact it says uttishtata uh, jagrata uh, you know awaken find out the learned ones find out those who know seek from them so it itself gives the clue that it's beyond the word go beyond the word and that comes when the fire is lit so when the mind is lit up instead of downward and outward you know we are all engaged with outward events all the time and then spare time we want to you know also get into the great and profound mysteries of existence it doesn't work out because the fire is not lit in the mind mind is still too heavy still too obscure and unless that happens it'll be very difficult we'll understand something uh, no doubt it's a good thing sometime the fire is lit by 
reading a wonderful work but still that's not the real light the real light must be that the mind should seek the eternal the knowledge the wisdom the truth and for that it must discard these frames in which it tries to you know put truth within that frame and labels it that's why when people speak, speak about schools of thought so i find it an absurdity what is a school of thought <laughs> it's not about thought you know because in a certain context we cannot think beyond thought but what does the katha upanishad speaks us it says go beyond thought isha upanishad says that if you have the thought of it you know it not अविज्ञातम विजानता अविज्ञातम विजानता इट बिट्स एस टू गो बी ऑन थॉट नाउ दिस इज अ न्यू कंसेप्शन बिकॉज वी थिंक एवरीथिंग मस्ट बी विद इन द रेलम ऑफ थॉट द मोमेंट यू पुट थिंग विद इन द फ्रेमवर्क ऑफ थॉट यू हैव एक्चुअली फिनिश्ड इट द हाइएस्ट कैन नॉट बी नोन बाई दैट वेन मदर वॉज आज दैट यू नो बिकॉज मदर गेव ए वेरी नाइस डेफिनेशन क्लिंग टू ट्रूथ सो पीपल स्टार्टेड टेलिंग आई एम इन ट्रूथ सो एंड सो इज इन फॉल्सो समबडी से वेजिटेरियन सेड आई एम ए वेजिटेरियन मदर सी आई एम लिविंग बाई ट्रूथ that fellow he eats meat he is not not living by truth so mother laughs at him says they have all made their definitions of truth and then she says i am responsible because i told them cling to truth and i did not explain what it is so the disciple asks but mother what is truth he says yes thankfully somebody has asked me and she says truth cannot be defined but if you are keen to know the truth it will reveal itself to you so we have to have the fire to nachiketa it revealed in a certain way but aren't we all nachiketas to us it may reveal in many more ways why only six chapters there may be countless chapters in the book of the infinite uh, and they will be revealed to us so each of us ultimately the purpose of this all these great uh, works are that whatever we end up speaking or writing becomes an upanishad in its own right though it's not with the idea that i am writing an upanishad none of them bothered even to put their name at the end of it but our natural speech must become an upanishad kabir says very beautifully uh, you know somebody asked him about veda so he says jo bolu so ved kahava jahan pag dharu so tirath so whatever i speak is a veda <laughs> where i step is a tirath is a holy place why because i am all the time remembering the divine offering so that is the state in which the upanishad bids us to rise but starts from there so mind must be lit with this fire which means for a long time we must withdraw from this externalizing activity too much preoccupation of the mind with newspaper and tabloids and uh, what is it whatsapp <laughs> and uh, television and uh, computer <laughs> i mean good things are fine but that's what it means that if it gives a whole hierarchy it gives the image of the ratha that there is human com- com- being is like a chariot so it's also there in the geeta but the image originally comes in the katopanishad we take it that it was composed probably a little before geeta but all these are not uh, what i want to get into the historical when it started whether it was post buddhist pre buddhist let the scholars debate about it so what is it about the rath the rath image is that uh, the human soul is seated within the rath rath is the body and the senses are the steed and objects are the path towards they are going now it's very interesting now what is the path people often ask okay which path 
karma yoga gyan yoga bhakti yoga this yoga and now you have many kinds of yoga including hot yoga which recently got disbanded hot yoga yes not hot yoga hot yoga because the man is in prison steam yeah 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 not hot yoga is bengali hot yoga no it is hot yoga <laughs> yeah yeah so steam and all this. so many kinds of now you know and people speak about path what is the path i have not seen a more beautiful description of the path as in the katha upanishad the objects are the paths the senses follow meaning thereby whatever object the mind and the life and the senses dwell upon that is the path so beautiful it is so simple the journey will bring those consequences the entire karma doctrine is embedded within this half a phrase that whatever object our senses are following mark the word senses are following objects now they may be following very worldly objects eyeing on the share market then that is the path it's a path doesn't matter it will lead you to wherever share markets will lead you or if the senses are following the divine you know what what is this uh, state where the senses seek for the divine you see how um, we have stories of mira surda they they are seeking i can't see you i want to see you my my hearing these senses they must seek the eternal and then he says that he cannot be seen and sensed by these gross senses so he comes and says he liberates him from that he says but he can be that can be understood by or experienced by the subtle it's a very subtle things and give many beautiful images he says for example that when you uh, take up a seed analogies elsewhere but something similar that when you uh, cut it off then at the end what is there nothing there it is so it is the subtlest of the subtle it doesn't mean there it is nothing it that it exceeds the senses but the senses must seek so the the senses the path then what is the rain mind so much importance to mind but mind has only one work mind cannot arrive at the highest this is one of the greatest illusion that all the academia in the world are following and that's why it's all trash i mean this not academics sakar is wonderful but academia in the outside world isn't it they are writing papers and all this and uh, just they think that by the power of the mind sakar is born out of a soul cry so it's something special and there are such institutes i'm sure like that few and far between but typical academia with the mind tries to catch the eternal it cannot it will either finish it will either sleep in that susupti or it will return more confused than it was before so mind but mind has a role to play what is the role tell the senses which path you have to go so when the senses are driven towards the objects which will lead to transient gains the mind must tell the senses no this is not what you are here for you are here for something else think about something deeper and it is nothing to do with closing the eyes you know in shobindo once somebody sadhak was meditating for a long time and Uh, people told him he must be a great sadhak he sits and meditates for such a long time and shobindo's reply with this characteristic touch of humor yes but on his wife he could see through it <laughs> he sits with eyes closed but he is meditating on his wife so what will happen you will realize your wife 
or husband or son or whatever because the senses are not under the governance of the mind so the first step it gives as i said it's a whole method first step mother speaks of use the reason to control the senses fundamental step if the senses are going haywire all kinds of you know we are driven into that then there cannot be any higher seeking but controlling the senses is not enough because there is something beyond the mind the buddhi when you control what happens now does it mean we stop seeing we stop hearing now we apply something greater the greater intellect so mind is like the what is it called in english lagam reins reins lagam <laughs> i am remembering the hindi word reins ha horse reins but who is the one who is holding the reins buddhi so this is the first step shobindo in synthesis after all the treatises first fundamental step is purification of buddhi disengaging the buddhi from the rest the gita speaks of the buddhi yogam as the first step what does the buddhi has to do instead of downward and outward turn it upward and inward bahu shakha naam and vyavsayitmak that's how the gita puts it vyavsaya your whole being is concentrated the buddhi otherwise bahu shakha naam so morning it is uh, upanishad <laughs> then after one hour it is uh, food and after another hour it is friends after another hour it's movie and you know it goes on bahu shakha naam so what happens you get at the end nothing this you know duvida mein dono gaye maya mili na ram so the first step is buddhi so buddhi is higher than the mind buddhi must tell the mind how will the mind know that what is the real object and it must through the mind pull the reins and give it the right direction so this is the first fundamental step that we are on track how to get on to the path of yoga first step is that then the next is there is something greater than the buddhi buddhi thinks uh, well i can by this arrive at the highest no it has to further fall quiet you know it's a progressive quietening through this process the mind the vital the senses become more and more quiet otherwise they are all the time jumping and running from here to there so beyond the buddhi is the great self now when the buddhi also becomes quiet turns upward turns inward with a seeking with the nachiketa fire then there is the great self reflected in the mind as in a mirror because it's unseen shobindo uses the word uh, line in savitri then the unmanifest unmanifest is the next step reflects in the in the mind as in a still glass so because otherwise also it is there but you know we can't catch it all the time there is only one truth that comes at the end there is nothing else but because the mind is so restless it is scattered and we cannot see that mother says it so beautifully at one place that there are many windows in us which open to the infinite there are so many gaps so many moments in a day when it opens to the infinite but we don't take advantage let's say we go out and we look at a flower and say ah how beautiful now you see it's a window opening now from that we can go into the all beautiful the all blissful but we don't take advantage of it a good deed a generous deed something beautiful ah so nice that child gave something now we are stuck with the child and then next is oh what a lovely child 
No, what, what a generous act. Look at the act. And then we will end up into the all generous, the one who is the giver of all things. So this is how the buddhi must become silent, quiet, turn toward the great self. So is there something beyond the great self? It says the unmanifest. Something which is not yet. Now this is the great division which has been uh, there in uh, uh, Indian yogic experience, not thought. <laughs> so there is the manifest. So manifest world is not only this which we experience but many other levels which we do not yet experience and they are hidden behind the various lokas. So these are the manifest worlds. They are already something of the divine is expressed, however distorted, however limited, but it's manifested. Is there something beyond it? Now an evolutionary thought will say, yes, there is more to come. And a static thought will say, no, man is the final. So I have never understood one thing, that though unmanifest is there in Indian thought, how is it that Indian philosophers and thinkers who have read the Vedas and Upanishads, Never conceive that there can be something more than man. Bites, leave aside the biological and evolutionary, uh, evolution would tell us there has to be something greater. But even this that there is an unmanifest. Now, unmanifest means something which is not manifested, something new. Of course, Shubindo very interestingly puts it into, uh, if we see Shubindo's plan since we are at it, he speaks of temporal manifestation and he speaks of eternal manifestation. They are the great worlds. But there is something which is not manifest. So in traditional yoga, what they used to do is, Kathopanishad is not speaking of that. And that's why I love this. You know, I, as I say, it's a very complete system. From the manifest, you go into the unmanifest. So what happens to your nature? Leave it. Let it. All kinds of things will pass through it. The paramans avastha. You may be like a madman. You may be like a gaul. It doesn't matter. Because you have entered the unmanifest. And you can dissolve into the unmanifest. Unmanifest by its nature, you have no bearings, no orientation there. So there is the unmanifest. But Kathopanishad says, unmanifest is not the last term. That is the beauty. What is beyond the unmanifest? Sa Purusha Evascha. That, the Purusha, the great being, may use the word Sachidanand if you like. He is there. That is there. We may, even she is there because it says Aditi. It, it doesn't matter he or she or it. So there is this absolute which is beyond the manifest and beyond the unmanifest and the Gita speaks about it. He says, how will you arrive at truth? He says, when you know me as the, that which is manifest and that which is unmanifest. Vyaktyoham Avyaktyoham. I am both. So there is a great eye which is beyond both, which expresses itself through manifestation, holds itself back in the unmanifest form, but is beyond the manifestation and the unmanifest. And that's why he says that where the sun shines not. What can we speak about him? How can you speak about that glory? The lightning sees the electrical energy of the mental and the higher mental regions that vanishes. The sun is like a darkness. It cannot shine there. And what to speak of the moon and the stars. All this about the various kinds of illuminations that human beings can have. The moon and the stars are basically the illuminations in the mind, the spiritual mind. 
So all of this vanishes in that. That is the great origin. And then he tells Nachiketa, this is that thou seekest. Repeatedly it will say, this is that thou seekest. And the beauty of this is that it tells us the goal of life. See, it starts with kathar, distress. What is the distress? It's because we don't know the one self. And what is that one self? Is it there in some high heaven? The Katopanishad tells us it is everywhere. It returns back into creation and says the Ashwat tree, it gives the image. Again, we see in the Gita a lot of interesting images from the Katopanishad are in the Gita and also in some other Upanishad like Nayam, Atma, Balhine. All these images come in Sweta, Ashutara and other Upanishads. So what is this Ashwat tree? Now it reverses. It says out of that creation has emerged and what you see here are the branches and the fruits and the trees. Roots are at top. So if you want to really understand creation, go to its roots. Otherwise you can't make sense of life. And so interesting that too, if we don't know the source and origin, we are leading half an existence. Several suggestions come in that. That's why we see in many of these stories, uh, mythological, they start with, you know, what was there before creation. Savitri itself starts with that. It was the hour before the gods awake. The huge forward, across the path of the divine event, the huge foreboding mind of night, alone, in a unlit temple of eternity. So a very pragmatic person will say, okay, okay, this, this, is, you know, I want to know my problem. What's your problem, sir? I have everyday quarrel with my husband or wife. How do I sort it out? He says, that's what it is trying to sort out. What do you mean? Why should I know about the creation and the source? Because when you discover you are that, then you will also discover she is also that. Then you quarrel will cease. Otherwise you will arrive at a mutual adjustment, accommodation, temporary harmony, quarrels followed by peaceful. Because it cannot, by its nature it cannot. And egoistic consciousness will end up like Vajashrava, getting angry. You can't help it. That's the nature of the consciousness. So all this mental idealism, sentimental and emotional colors of fancy which we weave around magical names. Love is the greatest magic. But it's not born without discovering the one. Because love by its nature leads towards oneness. And unless we know the one, we cannot really experience love. It's a paradox in the highest sense. But when you discover the one, then whole creation you love. Because whole creation has its roots there and it spreads into the cosmos and then he says not only in cosmos now he is reversing the whole thing he says even in you that is there so close to me within me I don't have to go elsewhere yes my child Nachiketa you deserve to know this and I will tell you where he is seated that also what a profound Upanishad this is he says in the center of your heart it is there and how big is it a being no bigger then the thumb of man. Angusht matra purusha. How beautifully Shobindra in Savitri describes it. But since she knows, she is the aditi beyond the manifest and the unmanifest. But since she knows the toil of mind and body and life, as a mother knows and shares her children's lives, she puts forth a small portion of herself. See, the same thing. In the Katopanishad he said that and that is also here. She puts forth a small portion of herself into a hidden region of the heart 
a being no bigger than the thumb of man to face the pang and to forget the bliss so where do we have to find one process is by constantly stilling all the parts this one way the senses the objects the senses greater than senses are the objects make the objects right greater than the objects is the mind greater than the mind is the buddhi greater than the buddhi is the uh, self greater than the self is the unmanifest and greater than the unmanifest is that this one path but then now he is inclined to reveal to nachiketa another path he says go into your heart you will find there subtlest of the subtle seated within it it is there it's can it's something you can see you can become one with you can experience it it's forever pure and it's no bigger than the thumb of man now death also goes on describing very technically and it says how is it bound to the body it has deliberately tied itself to nature how is it tied to nature it is tied by 101 cords is very you know so sometimes i feel it's a very medical upanishad also you know katha distress death we all face of course if a patient comes to me and says i have fever i can't tell him read the katha upanishad <laughs> but i can definitely tell him that look i understand your distress take the medicine but know that you are not just the body but much more than that go deep into your heart discover that light that truth that effulgence that radiance that purity that power that strength which is there within you go to the doctor but have faith in that which you are carrying inside so this is where it says seek him there it's there within the heart so beautifully we see the same thought when shirobindo in the poem rishi written along similar lines you know if you want to read in savitri goes much beyond it but if you wants to read the katha upanishad as in shirobindo's writings one of the poems is rishi so rishi tells the same thing there are many worlds many worlds beyond 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 and at the end he gives it then he says that has become all these things at the end he says seek him on earth seek him in yourself because o king thou art that only the night is on thy soul so what a marvelous truth he reveals that you are that only it is hidden inside there is the light of there is the veil of ignorance how to tear away the veil of ignorance nachiketa whoever lights your fire his veil of ignorance will be torn whoever recites this at the time of death this used to be one of the you know this garur puran they are one of those which used to be recited during shraddha now it makes great sense because imagine that there is uh, not imagine that soul is hovering around now we are very fortunate you know this uh, august company of seekers doesn't need anything but let's say in in normal life there is a person who never had any contact with kathopanishad or any upanishad for that matter and the poor soul tied up in all the trappings of the vital and mental is still stuck oh my family my this my that and when you read the kathopanishad what will happen it will say fool where am i stuck so it will disengage that is how the bhagavat also seven days when parikshit hears the bhagavat not only he is freed there is the side story that there is a daman who is residing in the bamboo tree that follow is by default listening and he gets freed 
so so i suppose you know the reason why it was uh, it is said in the kat upanishad that you should recite it during shraddh is because it has the power to dissolve all the formations and i feel that that there is this power in this upanishad that if we read through it even hastily it has the power to dissolve all these formations in which we are caught up just reading it it is, so what he is saying is that this not just an intellectual statement of knowledge it is also a power not all scriptures are like that not all writings are like that but here there is a declaration that i have put the power in it that the mere reading mere recitation of this upanishad can free us from the bonds of death so death is giving away his secret that you want to be free from me now i am telling you there are three ways to be free from me first is discover this individual center of divinity this is the first immortality when we discover that we know that death is nothing but a changing of our robes we don't need to read it we know it what happened when the body died the car broke down maybe a bad accident it's gone beyond repair but the master has already paid our price and the second car is already ready that's how shivinda puts it that you know we should not worry about it because already another car has been made ready what we have to do he will make us quiet little while give us nice food then give us the new car complete organ transplant free of cost new place new experience not drive warranty sir 80 85 year old warranty what if i abuse the car then it's a different matter sir you you know insurance company also tells you if you drive rashly don't blame us but if we drive it correctly and the correct driving of the car is described in the katopanishad then it will serve its purpose after that it breaks down you have another so this is the first immortality to discover the secret soul within and light up the fire of aspiration the second immortality is the universal consciousness the vast the unlimited the illimitable not unlimited is a quantitative term the illimitable cannot die by its nature so limitation is death this is the second meaning of death first is separation of the soul from the body this is death this one this most elementary the second is anything which is limited be it a thought be it a feeling that's why all day feelings thoughts everything changes it's all subject to death so death in its largest sense is whatever is limited it has a tendency to break the barriers why is it doing it because we can grow wider unfortunately we don't like it because it means stepping out of a comfort zones so we don't like people who have contrary opinions why because my opinion but if you have a person with contrary opinion what is it this is also interesting because this is one crude way of breaking the barrier this is not the best way <laughs> a lot of fight lot of arguments not worth it but still there is a way it is trying to break the limitations and ultimately illimitable because the vaster we become the closer we are to immortality that's why the vedic rishis use the word satyam truth which is eternal ritam it it has its own law of becoming in creation there is a law of truth and there is a distortion of that law by falsehood that's unrhythm that's why there is confusion and chaos 
Nothing has to go out of manifestation. Thing has to be put in the right place. That is what Rith does. And the third is Vrahatam, vastness. So when we become vast mentally, when our efforts become vast, when our feelings become vast, they are not cloistered into me and mine. But it loves even the body of God in all things. So when we love all beings and all things, then where is the this and that? The periods break down. The heart becomes vast. Similarly, the life impulsions, when it seeks something vast, not the small transient things. Nachiketa seeks something vast. Not more in number, but that state of consciousness where life becomes luminous and free. Then we have again the cosmic uh, consciousness, cosmic vital. And then finally, even the physical, it doesn't touch upon that. That has been left for Mother and Shurabindo, the final touch, because that is the most difficult and nuttiest part. So this is the second immortality. And the third immortality is beyond the individual, beyond the cosmic, is the transcendent. To get into that, which has neither any beginning nor an end, because the cosmos has a beginning, at least according to the Kathopanishad. This is the beginning. That's how it speaks of. Of course, in a certain sense, we can say there is no beginning because its roots are in the eternal. But we can say that there is a beginning and an end. That's why we talk about the cycles of time and the pralayas. So, there is a beginning and an end. But, transcendent has no beginning, no end. Obviously, there is no death. So, these are the three ways death expounds to Nachiketa to be freed from its own clutches and discover immortality. Last but not the least, which I find very interesting about this scripture, this is something we have grown up in, in Indian traditions. So whenever a story was told, we used to have this Savitri puja and this puja and that puja in my house. At the end of every puja and story, it used to be, Jaise iska bhala hua, vaisa sab kaho. You know, the way Savitri conquered death, May it happen in everybody's life. So, <laughs> Kadopanishad also ends with that, that whoever hears this doctrine, it will be freed from the clutches of death. So, it is a power embedded in this. With this we can stop. This is the central uh, elements in this Upanishad. Tomorrow when we have time, we will probably pick up few interesting Slokas, few interesting lines or passages. I don't want to speak the slokas because uh, I don't want a single Sanskrit word to be wrongly pronounced. But we'll pick up passages, the translations, definitely. Uh, and we'll pick them up. Now we have the images, we'll connect with it and go through each of the cycle in that way. But any questions, any thoughts, any sharing, most welcome. Sir? Yes, please. Yes. Yes. Does it imply that there is a constant number of atmas in the universe? Yeah. Does it imply? Yeah. 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 So it's also there in this. It's uncreated, unborn. But uh, it imply it implies not um, quantitatively. That's what I said. That in many of these terms, uh, there is a quantitative understanding. There is a qualitative understanding. So, qualitatively, Atma is neither created nor destroyed. Quantitatively, because the one is infinite, there can be any number of Atmas in terms of number. Because to limit the number of souls is to limit the infinite. So, new souls will keep entering into the existence 
and new souls will uh, and some will opt for this or that when probably earth is filled we will have creation on venus mars pluto neptune god knows where after all there is lot of space which is uninhabited we should think about those places also <laughs> so but um, there is a very interesting story about it when mother went back though she has not said that this happened with me but i am sure the way she has described intuitively i i do believe it's mother's own story uh, but it's not narrated like that so she says when somebody went back from india and uh, some of those who knew the person who used to meet they met and said oh you have come from india uh, the land of souls so uh, do they do they count souls do they count souls how many are there how many how many so says that the person held out one finger and said one that's the beauty of the atman realization there's many at the same time it's one so what happens when we realize the psychic being now there is subtle differences between psychic being the psychic essence and the inmost soul the jivatma i am not uh, entering into that that's not directly the theme of cut but we can take it up if there is a question uh, it does speak about the jiva and other things but uh, the the moment one realizes the psychic and identifies with it what is the experience like among many other things one of them is that this is one mode of expression of the eternal but so is this so is that so is this so is that so is everything so there is one which is distinctive there is a distinctiveness with the psychic but there is also the sense of unity with the psychic that's why yama tells him to enter through this door because the moment you touch the psychic it's very easy to universalize but if you try to do it just with the mind life and body especially without the lighting the fire you enter into the cosmic ignorance which is a dangerous thing so there are yogis who with uh, forceful practices like breathe 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 and eventually you can have an experience of entry into the cosmic consciousness but it's very dangerous because you lose your bearings there is nothing to really orient you or hold together so that's why the barrier of the ego is there there is a reason why ego has been created otherwise it will be like unfiltered uh, you won't know where you are who you are then you'll just wandering around it doesn't matter it's a very you know then there'll be no difference between the mystic and the madman but the mystic can orient himself because he knows that this is it which is the one mode of manifestation of the internal so psychic is all the time conscious of the divine presence behind it so this fire is also the fire which holds the psychic the fire is always the divine will which is operating which is on the height which is within matter Uh, the sun that's how it is described which is in the countless moon and star the mental worlds and other worlds but it holds the psychic within it like the story of prahlad with you know in the fire so that's the beauty this divine will the moment one becomes conscious of the psychic one becomes aware of the divine will within oneself but one also knows that this divine will is not limited to this being it is expresses itself in everyone so there is differentiation and there is unity they go together so there is we can say there is only one soul we can say there are many souls and there can be uh, theoretically infinite numbers if we can use this paradox yeah i wish you know this anatomy was taught to me they didn't but yes uh, the chords which are described i can tell you what they mean um, 
because why I am saying is that in anatomy we have described great detail every nerve. So the the watershed between the subtle body and the gross physical is the nervous system. That's why you'll see that nervous system is extremely sensitive to uh, the touches from outside. And people who develop at a certain stage of evolution become extremely sensitive even to thoughts, feelings. Then they have to go past that stage. Many people, you know, uh, can enter into chaos. But you have to go past that stage and discover the one great self. And that's why the first boon, peace, is so important. Because the journey is going to undertake can be completely ruffled and, uh, you know, roughed up. So these nerves are in the subtle body. Now they also extend into the physical body. And through the physical body, especially through the heart center. So, you know, you have the sevenfold cords. But ultimately they can be reduced to three main cords and then many many branching sub-nerves through that. So there is a cord which ties the mind firmly, the, the nervous system. So this is the nodal center. So you have these subtle nerves and then it enters into the mental um, box, not the mental box but the instrument for receiving the mind which is the brain. And it ties itself there. It holds a grip. The second is through the heart which is the central being. And it ties itself through that to the rest of the body. So if you see even, even purely anatomically, brain is the seat of consciousness. So it controls the master controller. But heart is the master energizer. So these two are the most important organ. And third at the base of the spine in the muladhar. Where you know all these um, in matter itself. So these are the three main cords through which it ties itself. And then there are many subs. So you know 101, this is again a very interesting image which uh, uh, in Vedas the numbers have their own interesting counterparts. You can multiply with three but here it's a multiplication with seven. Because basically you have the sevenfold cord. So seven you multiply with seven becomes 49 and you multiply with two. Shubhindra in one of the places talks about the ascending and the descending current. So nerves which go up and the nerves which go down and you have the one at the base and the one above. So it becomes 100 and the one that jiva which is inside not just above and below that becomes 101. So this my own uh, I just spontaneously I am sharing something but there could be other ways of looking at it. But all these hold but these three are the main cords. If these three one can loosen up. So if you loosen the cord of the mind you become nut loose and you are in the best condition to <laughs> enter into the vastness. So people who think they are very wise and very pragmatic are not ready for, you know. So a little bit nut loose is a very helpful thing, you know. That's why you will see many nut loose cases all around here. <laughs> because it's important, you know, if the extremely pragmatic person, <laughs> people come nowadays, you know, to join the ashram, you have to come to the psychiatrist. So they come to me. So the, I, I ask them, so are you normal? This is the only question I ask. <laughs> So, so one person gave me very good answer. Said, sir, if I was normal, why would I be here? I said, that's the answer I've been looking for. Nobody gave that answer. <laughs> I, I must be super fit. <laughs> With everybody, it's fit. Because <laughs> everybody gets a bit apprehensive. Are, if you are normal, you would be pursuing normal aims. Why would we, you come for a yoga of transformation, you know, all this or any yoga for that matter? Normal aims are what other people pursue. Uh, an aim like Nachiketa is an abnormal aim. So, so in that sense, so a little bit of nut loose. So this is one big notice. The second is heart. That's why many people during the time of death experience pain. And this pain, and I really believe that heart attacks, you know, what we call as, you know, blockage, all this, this is a 
I want to get into this whole theory. It's a very murky thing, motivated with commerce, this knowledge, that knowledge. I'm not convinced, having gone through all the scientific literature, that heart attack actually takes place because of the actual blockages. And there are many people like me who are not convinced about it. And I'm not getting into that. But there are blockages observed, there is heart attack. But heart attack is one time when actually there is what is called in Indian thought as Kali Yoga or Mrityog. Yoga. There is that great force which tries to pull away, cut the heart strings. Now, if you have fear, you know, who are the Yamdut? Fear, anxiety, they are the Yamdut. I mean, figuratively, there are actual Yamdut also, they are not that bad. But fear is worse. So they bring, yeah, they are nice guys and they are very scared of us. We tell them from the soul that get lost. We don't belong to you, they'll go away. Sorry, sir. Savitri story, that's how it happened, no? They're very scared of Brahmins, that means seekers. That's why when Yamdut see Nachiketa, they run to their master. Please, sir, somebody has come <laughs> uninvited, but he has a fire inside. We can't go near him. You go ask him, no, what he has come for. <laughs> so, well, that's a subtle part of it. But essentially, when the heart strings are cut. Now, you know, it is very occult ramification. When they are cut, there is the pain. Now, who will not experience the pain? The mother was asked this. She said, who has practiced detachment in life? What does Katopanishad say? Katopanishad says the same thing. That when you tear the cut open, when the heart strings are cut asunder, there are no more doubts. You are a free person. Now, this detachment is not um, externally throwing away an object. Or a person. In fact, this detachment is the beginning of a true relationship with life, with people, with creation. Because it means that the egoistic bondage that I had formed between this limited personality and that limited being is gone. Now there is a deeper bonding, the same Yagnwalk story with Matri, that we love the wife not for the sake of the wife but for the sake of the self. We love the husband, the child, not for the sake of them, for the sake of the self. We love the country, not for the sake of the country, which can be an ignorant sentimental attachment, but for the sake of the self. Now, Shubhinda says, as is the self, so is the love. If we are living in ego, then it's for my egoistic self. If it is a greater self, the great self, at least, if not the one, then it is for the sake of the greater self. Then we see the same in everybody. And then we cooperate, we help. We help each other grow towards the truth. That is the original sense of the fire in the center of uh, marriage and then seven, whatever, three and a half, three and a half, whatever around it. That look, you know, the center is fire, not the ego, not the mother-in-law, not the father-in-law, not my dad, not your dad, not my mom, not my family, not my surname. Center is aspiration. So that's how, you know, so this is the hard part, which uh, if while we practice detachment, then this string becomes loose. We live with everybody, but we are never overwhelmed with any situation or an event. This is the sign. We face situations, but as Shobindu described, they'll come, touch for a while and then pass away. It's like, you know, on the water, you beat water. For a moment, there is splash. There is a line and then next moment, it's all ironed out. So that is the state when we practice this detachment. So then the heart strings are cut ascendant. But the third and not is the physical. So again, anatomically, we, we observe the same sequence in death. First is brain death. Next is the heart stops. And third is cellular death, which takes six to eight hours. Actually, 
this is the most difficult part and but it again has a ramification now this not the katha but the question is relevant and the cut does give a hint it started with 101 nerves that's why you have to allow time after death and the uh, yes either the burial or the uh, fire because 101 after all you know even if all the yamdutas are working overtime will take you know it has been fixed in such a way that we can't figure out where these nerves are forget about you know undoing them so even the expert engineers of yama takes at least 6 to 8 hours but even after that the psychic may not decide it wants to gather that okay you have detached me from the body but there are things inside which i need to carry my this baggage is there my these cells are holding the touch of oh no my mother touched divine mother touched my head i must carry that consciousness oh my heart such beautiful feelings were embedded inside the cells i must carry it my feet have several times gone to a pilgrim spot these feet contain something so it takes a long time to even after that detachment which takes normally 6 to 8 hours another so the standard mother used to would suggest 24 hours um, for the full thing to be extracted then the body can be called as you know dead body Yeah, that's that facilitates the process. That's facilitates the process that when some see see this departure is taking place, you have to give it respect. You have to give it its due. Now we as doctors make a very transient distinction between living and dead, but this is not true. Mother says there are many who are living but like dead. There are many who are dead but very alive. So you have to allow. You have to respect this process like any other process. death is not an end of life it's a process of life it's like telling you know this forcibly doing something is like evicting somebody from the house and saying now get lost i put a lock you can't enter but that's not a process that's something forced nature doesn't do like that nature says look you know i am going to uh, there is another house for you you will discover it but this you have to leave it's become very tattered So you say, okay, I'll leave it. You may linger. You may say, roof is leaking, but I am very attached to it. But at some point, it says, now look, you know, your time is up. You got to go. So then it says, uh, okay, but I have to pick up this, pick up that. Says, so what do you want to pick up? Transient things? No, you have to leave it. What do you want to pick up? My passport and you know, ticket and visa. Yeah, that you can carry. So there are things which are um, eternal moments in any life, and those have to be picked up. They are all embedded in the cells. You know, we don't understand this mystery of the human body. It's not there in this because that's not Katha himself. Human body has many impressions. It retains vital impressions. We all know that's how habits are formed. You smoke a cigarette, and you know you get into habit. It retains mental impressions. Somebody has said something to you for hundred days. You remember this fellow. He said this to me. What is it? The cells. He is not saying anything after that. but you carry the impressions so the cells retain the memory how about the psychic and spiritual impressions that also is embedded in the cells but that is a much higher thing this is up till graduation or maybe ma but phd and beyond is mother and shobindo cellular yoga cellular memories cellular impressions of the spirit cellular transformation all that belongs to another domain 
days or 12 days or why children are mentally is there and they only will have to pray and all. Yeah, yeah. So it's there. It's there in the Indian tradition. Yeah. So basic, huh, without making a rigid rule, what it means is that there is a time lag between your uh, saying goodbye to the house and your actually reaching your destination. I look at it like that. Very simply, you set out on a journey, let's say from uh, Hyderabad to Pondicherry. So you, uh, what happens? You set out of the house and you are in a taxi and still something within you is yeah yeah at home you are talking about home and then you have a phone call so beta where have you reached oh mom don't disturb me i am still on the way to you know airport and then check in and you are messaging that checked in security check done you are still connected then what happens then the next step is you reach you take a flight you have reached pondicherry so you have gone to guest house you are still something is still connected oh i had had my food then so you are feeling hungry now so you want to take a food. Oh, can I get something which, you know, I love in Hyderabad? No, sir, you can't get it. You get something else. Then finally, you enter the ashram. Now what happens? Now your phone is turned silent or switched off. And you are face to face with the eternal. So this uh, takes about 10 days, 13 days, 4 days. Some people little longer. Most people within 10, 12 days. Uh, but for the great ones, for the realized one, it doesn't matter. They will say like Swami Vivekananda, I have spat my body. Or like Pavitra Da, I have taken my body and put it into the Divine Mother. So it depends on, the great ones don't need anything like that. That's why in the, for the great ones in India, you don't burn the body, you give Samadhi. The idea is that, you know, they are not attached to the body any which way. So if you have the body around, there is a tendency for it. Now this is a different subject, which is better, which is not, etc, etc. But the point is that the great ones are given a samadhi because their body can continue to uh, retain some of these vibrations and attract some of these vibratory energies. So in a certain sense, it's good to bury. But there are issues within it because in a typical burial place, you have these what are called as elemental energies when the being fragments. So many desires, greeds, all these are hanging around which people experience when they go into a typical shamashan. You know, this is very nice. Muthyalpet is a lovely place. And of course, you grow up, you don't care. Yeah, it's a nice place. You see, it's not bad. Nice, sweet. I am telling you it's better than Harishchandra Ghat or Varanasi. I have been to both the places. In Varanasi, Manikanika Ghat, Harishchandra Ghat, and I have been to Muthyalpet. Very honest impression. You don't feel any sting of death here. In Manikanika, you feel a detachment, you know, virakti from kya life. Sometimes you may also feel, some people feel repulsed. But here you will never feel any of those experiences. It's a special place. But otherwise, in a typical place where all this is taking place, so there are a lot of defragmented beings which are thrown out. So what happens by fire? Fire destroys even those. Physical fire can destroy subtle entities, elemental energies which are very close, but are called as bhutas. So it is meant to purify. This, this mother herself has said. That's why the fire, she says that in India because the occult knowledge was there, therefore they used fire. That's, that's between the two. Okay, so I think we'll uh, stop here today. We meet tomorrow again. If there are more questions, if we want to take up question answer, we can do that.
as i said cut or beyond any frames yeah 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 thank you so much